anything. Don't judge. The logs in your own eye distort your vision easily. And be bold in what you ask your Father for. And now Jesus forces us to take a look at those things and make a decision in the passage we're looking at this morning. So again, let's look at Matthew 7, starting in verse 13. And please, please stand with me as we read God's Word. Matthew 7, starting verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, floods came, winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. You may be seated. So again, we see a very sort of harsh conclusion to Jesus' message. Going back to verses 13 and 14, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus divides everyone in the world into two categories. Those who go through the narrow gate, and those who go through the wide gate. And it might be more helpful for us to think of this more as like a tunnel, or going under a bridge or something like that. Not necessarily just a a door gate on a fence. The wide gate, the wide tunnel, is easy to travel through. Plenty of room. Easy to go through. It's very inviting. Everyone else is going that way. And it promises ease and success. The narrow gate is hard. 
It's less popular. There's not as many people that find it. And it doesn't look as inviting. The catch is that these two ways don't go to the same place. The wide gate leads towards destruction. The narrow gate leads towards life. And as we go on, we'll see that it's not talking about just hard life. He's talking about eternal destination. Eternal destruction or eternal life. He goes on. So not only is that a difficult choice, but then he then tells us it's not a neutral choice. He goes on to say that there are people who will actively be trying to make you choose the wide path. Verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So he gives us another parallel. You have a diseased tree and a healthy tree. A diseased tree bears bad fruit. It's not producing anything good. Its only use is to be cut down and destroyed. Healthy tree bears good fruit, offers nourishment, can be lived off of for years as it continually produces fruit. And he makes it a little bit more concerning because now he tells us that, I mean, that in itself is kind of easy. Like, okay, I just, I need to bear good fruit. And automatically we think, okay, if I just do good things. And he goes on, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is a scary thought. These people were actually prophesying in Jesus' name. They were actually casting out demons in Jesus' name. And they were actually doing miracles in Jesus' name. That sounds like a pretty fruitful life. Pretty fruitful ministry. And they get to the end and he says, I don't know who you are. So we can see here that it's not a type of fruit that's just activity and doing. It's, it's a relationship. Please don't be among the crowd that walks down the wide path thinking you're on the narrow path. And you get to the end and you find out it was the wrong path. I mean, you need to feel the weight of 
what Jesus is saying. You can spend your entire life ministering and not know who He is. You miss the whole point. It's a relationship, not a to-do list. I had this in here just because it's a beautiful verse. This is 1 John 2.17. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Jesus goes on. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. So again, we see another parallel. We have a house that is built firmly on a rock, good foundation. And the foundation is doing what Jesus taught, hearing his words and doing them. Which is kind of weird, because it seems to go against what he just said. But you live that life, your house is built on a strong foundation, storm comes, you'll be able to withstand it. If you hear these words and don't do them, you're like a house that's built on sand. The first storm that comes blows it over. So this is how Jesus concludes his sermon. He really puts before us one choice, looked at from kind of three different angles. You can go through the narrow gate, which leads to life, or the wide gate, which leads to destruction. You can be a healthy tree that bears fruit, or a diseased tree that is only good for firewood. Or you can be a house that's built on a foundation that can withstand storms, or a house that's built on sand that will blow over with the first heavy wind. Essentially, do you want life or do you want destruction? That's his ending point. And if you're like me, you read that and you say, that doesn't help me do anything. How, my question and title of the sermon, how can a well-built house go through a narrow gate like a healthy tree? That doesn't make any sense. What, What am I supposed to do? What do I do? He's not really giving us anything to go off of. There are two verses in here they give us a clue. Verses 21 and 24. Verse 21, this is where he said, they'll enter heaven, and it's the one who does the will of the Father 
who enters heaven. Verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So there's two clues on what gets us in. Doing the will of the Father and hearing Jesus' words and doing them. And I would argue that those are the same thing. And here's why. I went online to ESV and I just searched in the phrase, will of God. I wanted clear, I was like, okay, he who does the will of God gets in. Okay, what is that? I want a clear verse of saying the will of God is blank. Okay? So if any of you have ever wondered what the will of God is for your life, take out your pen, I'm going to tell you exactly. I've got three things for you. And I'm only half kidding. This is actually God's will for your life. The first one comes from 1 Thessalonians 4.3. The will of God for you is your sanctification. In simple terms, what that means is becoming more and more like Jesus every day of your life. Step by step, becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more holy. The will of God for you is your sanctification. Second one. This comes from 1 Thessalonians again, 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances. If you ever wonder what God's will is for your life, it's to be thankful no matter what happens. Even if it's cancer. Third one. 1 Peter 2.15 Do good in order to put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live a life that just overflows in good deeds so that people can't say anything bad about you. Those three things are God's will for your life. Once you master those, the fourth one is to come talk to me because I need help. So those are the three. Your sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus every day. Give thanks in all circumstances. And do good in order to put to silence ignorance of foolish people. And I thought, okay, how can I summarize those? How would I sum those up? I'd sum it up this way. Hear the words that Jesus taught and do them. The two things that Jesus calls us to are one and the same. The will of the Father is to saturate yourself in Jesus' teaching and life and live that out. But, I have some bad news for you. You can't do that. Not only can you not do that, you already blew it. Let's look at that list again. Hear, hearing the things Jesus taught and doing them. Let's look at the list. Anger in your heart toward a brother or sister is the same as murder. You ever had hate of anything? You're out. 
lust in your heart toward another is the same as adultery. Have you ever had a sexual thought about someone you're not married to? You're out. Let your yes be yes and your no be no because all that you say is before God. You ever backed out on something you said? Or told a lie? Don't retaliate. Love your enemies. Love them. Not, don't just tolerate them or ignore them or pretend they don't exist. Actively love them. Don't practice your righteousness or prayers before people in a way that's showy. Don't store up treasures on earth, but send them all to heaven. Don't worry or be anxious about anything. Have you ever worried about something? Don't judge. And be bold in what you ask your father to do. This is an impossible list. How does a well-built house go through a narrow gate like a healthy tree? The answer I found, we have to go outside of Matthew for this one. I read this on my kitchen table on Wednesday morning. Turn to Romans chapter 7. It's on page 943 in your Bible. Romans chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. And Paul here gives us the answer. We're left in a hard place because Jesus has given us, in the Sermon on the Mount, a description of an incredible person. And he says, you've got to be like that to go through the narrow gate, to be a healthy tree, and to be a well-built house. And here in Romans 7 is the miracle that tells us how anyone can possibly even do it. So we kind of got to follow Paul's argument here a little bit. So, Romans 7, verse 1. Uh, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law. The law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. And then he gives an example. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Makes sense so far, following. So marriage, you're bound until one dies, and then you're free from that law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. If she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So when one 
person, the husband dies, she is now free from that law to marry another. The law ceases to have power over her. And now he brings it to where it's important for us. Likewise, my brothers and sisters, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that, We serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Now, this is, it makes no sense rationally. But at the moment when you heard the gospel and believed it, you died with Christ. And that death freed you from your past sins. There is a union with you and Christ in a death that He died on the cross that frees you from the law that keeps you from the narrow gate. And the best part is, it's right in verse 4, So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that, so, he, so Jesus was raised from the dead, so that you may bear fruit for God. So not only has Jesus died, and you died with him in some weird way that we won't fully understand until we get to heaven, Not only that, not only have you been cleansed in that death, but now He rose from the grave and He empowers you to bear fruit for God. So, how does a well-built house go through a narrow gate like a healthy tree? Simply, you believe the gospel. You must be born again. The task is impossible, and you already failed. The only way is to surrender to what Christ has done on the cross and live out that empowerment of the Spirit that works in you every single day. Believe in the gospel and let it, do, let it do its work in your life without resistance. Just give up, throw in the towel, and say, I, I can't, I'd, I need help. And at that moment, when you realize that, and you throw yourself onto Jesus and what he did on the cross, there's a power that flows through you, through the Spirit empowering you to bear the fruit that he's talking about. From a clean slate, 
You get to start over bearing God-empowered fruit. You throw yourself on the reality that Jesus is God. And that as God, He came and died for your penalty to cleanse you of the wrong you've done. He was raised and ascended to heaven and He is alive now empowering you to be a well-built house that goes through a narrow gate like a healthy tree. You must be born again. It's the only way. I'm reminded of something I read about George Whitfield. I don't know if any of you know him. He was a preacher back in the 1700s during the Great Awakening. He preached all over uh, Great Britain and America while it was still the colonies at that time. And this is a little story about him. Whitfield's powerful melodic voice was legendary. On one occasion, he preached without any means of amplification to a crowd in Glasgow, Scotland, numbering nearly 100,000. His voice is said to have resembled an organ, a flute, and a harp all playing at the same time. His evangelistic ministry continued for more than 30 years, resulting in revivals which swept England and America in the 1700s. He preached over 18,000 sermons to multitudes on village greens, street corners, fairs, festivals, in open fields, and in churches that were so full he had difficulty reaching the pulpit. 18,000 sermons. For reference, I did the math, I think Andrews may be at 350 to 400. His message that men might be remade, regenerated, and born again by faith in Christ caused thousands, including eminent preachers, poets, and philanthropists, to commit their lives to Christ. I'm now 55 years of age, he said in one of his final addresses. And I am more than ever convinced that the truth of the new birth is a revelation from God himself and that without it, you can never be saved. Why, Mr. Whitfield, inquired a friend one day, why do you so often preach on you must be born again? Because, replied Mr. Whitfield, looking solemnly into the face of his questioner, you must be born again. It marked his ministry for his entire life. A single message. You must be born again. Fall onto the work of Christ in the gospel. The work of Christ on the cross and his daily work in your life through the Spirit. Empowering you to be a well-built house that goes through a narrow gate like a healthy tree. And that's what we do every week. We remember that in the form of communion, taking the bread and the wine, his body and the blood that he shed for us. And every week, week in, week out, we remind ourselves that we must be born again. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the harsh call to enter through the narrow gate to be a healthy tree 
and to be a well-built house. And Lord, I thank you for the impossible call of the Sermon on the Mount on our life because you empower us to live it. You empower us to do impossible things, not just to simply do, but to be a certain kind of person. Lord, I ask that you work that out in every one of us every day. We lift these things up in Jesus' name. Amen.